So what are you made to do? What have you been trained to do? What joy do you find in living your life? How about those for some lighthearted questions to begin our time together today? Well, here we are kicking off a brand new series called Every Day, Everywhere. And it's something that we say every week here at Restore as we close out our time together. So what does every day, everywhere actually mean? Well, it's this call. It's this definitive time and definition of space for every Christ follower to live on mission. Because the reality is you and I, we're called by God to be missionaries. Well, that makes me think back to my childhood. Now, now many of you knew, know that I grew up as a pastor's kid. My, my dad led quite a few small churches, starting in Wisconsin and Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, and ended up in Arkansas. And I remember many times having missionaries stay in our homes. And I heard these stories of how they would share the gospel in places like India and Papua New Guinea and Barbados and Haiti and multiple places in Africa. And as I listened to those stories, I was inspired, all right? But I knew I didn't want to be a missionary. I didn't want to go to those places. I was glad that they did, but mm -mm, it was not for me. You see, I was trapped in the idea that a missionary was, well, only over there, you know, in some foreign place. But what we're talking about is how you and I are called to live as a missionary in our everyday context. So throughout this series, we've kind of got a definition that I want you to lean into for missionary. And here's what it is. A missionary is a person making disciples every day, everywhere. All right, let me read it again. A missionary is a person making disciples every day and everywhere. And this is kind of backed up kind of by our series verse where Jesus spoke in this recording, the Gospel of John. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, he's now saying, I am sending you, right? And then he breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So over the course of the next five weeks, we want to take this journey. And today we're going to start by learning from the very first missionary, the, the Apostle Paul. And then next week, we want to learn from other missionaries that we read about throughout history. And then we want to dive in on Jesus' particular call for you and I to the missionary lifestyle. And then follow it up with some stories of inspiration of what's happening right here, right now with Restore and people that have been engaged as missionaries in their everyday context. And then our last week, we're going to conclude it with a time of commissioning even right here as part of our digital world that we want to commission. And it's really this time where we, ha we have con be our consecrated and we're set apart for mission. Now today, we just want to dive right into the life of Paul. And he began his life by the name Saul. So let's look at his background. Let's see if we can explore his radical conversion that happened for him on this road to a town, a city called Damascus. Now, our story begins in our true source, the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Starts with chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what we read. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, then he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard this voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Well, the men traveling with Saul, they, they stood there speechless. They, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Now, now Saul, or, or Paul as we know him, he had what he thought was a call in his life, right? And his call was to be the best Pharisee, this teacher or keeper of the law that he could be. And at this point in, in, in time, well, it required for him that he would squelch any heresy against Jewish law. And this led Paul to imprison, to torture, and even kill any Jews who would follow this dead preacher known as Jesus of Nazareth. See, here's what Paul wrote about himself regarding kind of his training and upbringing and preparation. He wrote, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. So that Paul has this amazing encounter with the risen Jesus, and it leaves him changed and blind. So for three days, Paul is blind, and he fasts, and he prays. And on the third day, that sounded all familiar, God would send Ananias, and Ananias would show up kind of scared, right? Got fear and trepidation. You understand where you're going to go meet this person who has been persecuting Christians, but he's asked to go there to lay hands on Paul so that he could regain his sight, so that he could be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we read that things like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he regains his sight, and then it says he immediately gets up and he's baptized, and then he breaks his fast with some food. And then I love what happens next. We read, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him, they were astonished, and they asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, this, on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, from this, you might think, well, well Paul, man, he, he is ready. He's ready to go change the world. And he was. But some seasoning was in order. You see, Paul would stay in Damascus for about three years. And that happened until, well, the Jews wanted to kill him. And then he went to Jerusalem for 15 days until the Jews wanted to kill him. And then they sent him home, sent him back to his home in Tarsus. And if you looked on a map to find Tarsus, it would be kind of at the southern tip of modern-day Turkey. And he stayed there, well, for around a decade 
And Paul would preach, and he would teach near his hometown, and it would help him to grow in wisdom, and to grow in knowledge, and grow in discernment, and to perfect his craft of sharing the gospel, and prepare himself to start some churches where there were none. You know, after this time of waiting, Paul would go to Antioch, and he would help it become a church-planting church. Here's what we read about in Acts chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were, were prophets and teachers. There were Barnabas and Simeon called Niger. There were Lucius of Cyrene. There was Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And there was Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord, while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Well, Paul would begin what is known as his first missionary journey, accompanied by Barnabas and a young man by the name of John Mark. Well, he would later bail on the trip, and that's a whole other story. And this trip, it would take them to places like Seleucia, Cyprus, Pamphylia, Galatia, and Derby. And Paul would share the gospel every day, everywhere, and disciples emerged, and churches were started. And then Paul would take a second missionary journey, and this time he was joined by Silas and and part of the journey, well, Luke joined them as well, and they would go to Derby and Lystra and Phrygia and Galatia and Troas and Philippi and Samothrace and Neapolis and Ampopolis and Thessalonica and Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Caesarea, and then back to Antioch. And then one more time on the road with Silas, Paul would go to Phrygia and Galatia, Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, Troas, Asos, Mytilene, Caios, Samos, Miletus, Ephesus, Kos, Rhodes, Patera, Tyre, Ptolemy, and Caesarea on his way back to Jerusalem. Paul would end his missionary journeys with one more trip. But this trip, well, he would actually go in chains. And he would end up in Rome, where Paul was in prison for a number of years where he wrote a number of letters to these churches that he helped start, and whereby historical tradition, well, Paul would be beheaded. Now, these accounts of these journeys are all recorded in the book of Acts, and it's a wonderful story, a wonderful story of transformational power of the gospel. And maybe we should do a whole series on the book of Acts. Well, who knows? But what we do know is that Paul had this clarity of calling and his life did this 180 return. And as a result, churches were started all over the known world. And Paul led and he developed leaders and he discipled churches. Now, if we kind of pause and zoom out and we look at the life of Paul, we can gather some really practical and powerful principles for our missionary lives. I want to share three with you. And as you kind of listen to these and process through, just think about your own life and how they connect with you. Here's the first principle. Fasting and prayer are practices that help us hear from God. It was while the early church was praying and worshiping and fasting that they heard the Holy Spirit speak and said, hey, set apart Paul and Barnabas as these first missionaries. Often, people are unsure of how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and certainly he speaks through the Word of God. But he often speaks to our spirits while we're worshiping, while we're praising, because it unlocks our ears to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit even more effectively. 
And I want to say, when you or I are considering new ministry endeavors and taking steps out of our calling, we need to spend time worshiping, spend time fasting, spend time praying as we seek God. Because the time in his presence, it's never wasted. It's the place where the Holy Spirit kind of aligns our hearts with God's direction as we hear his voice. That's why these practices right here are so vital to your and my having a rule of life that's a regular part of our life in following Jesus. All right, the second principle is this. The missionary life is long obedience in the same direction. There is nothing quick about living as a missionary. Often it takes a long relational investment over time. But also this. Suffering and hardships, they are part of the call to follow Jesus. Now, often as believers today, we encounter suffering and we wonder why, why, why God doesn't step in? Why God doesn't rescue us? Am I having these struggles that I don't have enough faith? And, and Jesus says, no, no, no. He warns us. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. However, he promised that because he overcame the world, that for you and I, in the midst of the trouble, we will experience peace as possible. The truth is, suffering is part of our journey, and it unites our hearts with the crucified Christ. And Paul and Barnabas, they, they taught this principle when they, they went back after their first journey to those brand new churches, and they strengthened the believers and said, hey, we must go through many hardships to fully experience and enter this kingdom of God. And for hardships, well, Paul understood. He was part of three shipwrecks, including one shipwreck that included an overnight, right, on a day adrift on the open sea. Paul was imprisoned, he was repeatedly flogged, he was beaten, and he was stoned, and got even bit by a snake. And I'm thinking to myself, man, after one shipwreck, you might say, hey, this is too hard, I gotta call it done, but no, the call for Paul was too strong, and he just had to continue in his obedience to the mission of Jesus. All right, our third principle is this that sending and multiplying are often part of God's redemptive plan. The Apostle Paul, he spread the gospel, and then he discipled those who would say yes to following Jesus. And these new disciples came together to start new churches where there were none. And Paul would continue to preach and teach. Well, that happened usually until the powers that be wanted to imprison him or kill him. So then he would leave and leave that church behind, and he would move on. And through these disruptions, more churches were started in the next place where he would go. And well, Paul, well, he was no stranger to personal conflict. As I mentioned earlier, John Mark, he kind of bailed on their journey, and he returned to Jerusalem. And when Paul came back there and it was time for them to go on their second trip together, Barnabas said, hey, why don't we take John Mark? Why don't we give him a second chance? And Paul was like, no way. Bailed the first time, can't trust him. So instead of Barnabas joining Paul, Barnabas would stick with John Mark and Paul would join Silas. Now, we might hope that they could have worked out their difference and kept the OG team together. But this split was used by God. And as a result, the gospel spread even further. 
Now, often there are struggles and conflicts within ministry teams. And while God always desires that reconciliation between ministry partners occurs, sometimes the path forward to reconciliation can be actually reproducing a new team that goes in a new direction and reaches new people. You see, Paul and Barnabas, they multiplied into two different teams, and both teams were used mightily by God. By the way, John Mark, he would later reconcile with Paul, and he ended up being the first to write a biblical narrative of Jesus' life. He wrote the Gospel of Mark that's in our Bibles. Now, I know a little bit about the pain of sending and multiplying. Three years after we uh, launched Restore, uh, Tommy Bowman, our creative arts pastor, and his wife Jessica, who was our Kid City pastor, they came to Janet and me and they told us that they were feeling prompted to return to Chicago to start a new church with a high school friend. And we asked, well, what, what have we done wrong that you would want to leave? And I remember as we asked them, they had this perplexed look on their face. And they're like, this is what you've spiritually raised us to do. We said, oh yeah, that's right. But this hurts. Well, Mission Church launched in 2011, and today they average 2,300 people each week. And last year they baptized 174 people. I'll tell you, sending ain't easy, but God is faithful. Just a year later, we sent Patrick O'Connell, he was our exec pastor, to become the global director of the New Thing Network, the church planning network that we're still a part of here in Kansas City. And I had watched Patrick say yes to Jesus. I was there when Patrick was baptized. I remember whispering in his ear, why don't you come to Kansas City with us? And he left his financial career and he moved his entire family to help us start Restore. And I wanted Patrick to stay. But God said go. And under Patrick's leadership, new thing, it's now on five continents and 47 countries. And last year alone, 8,400 and 97 churches were planted. And because of your generosity, Restore was able to invest $125,000 to help New Thing launch in three new regions, Southeast Asia, Eurasia, and the French-speaking world. God can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Okay. Let's make this personal. Look through those three principles, those three things, prayer and fasting, long obedience, and multiplication and sending. And I want you just to think of it personally and go say, which of these three lessons are most pertinent to you right now? Which one? And as you think about that, Maybe God right now is even prompting you, what is one next step that you can take in that area? Hey, I really just want to encourage you. Come back and join us next week as we get a chance to learn from other missionaries throughout history. You won't want to miss it. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful so grateful that you are in the business of transforming lives and eternities, and then, God, you want to send us. You want to send us on these distant journeys, but, God, you also want to literally send us to our homes, 
to our streets, our cul-de-sacs, our apartment complexes, our, our residence halls and our dorms in college, to our high school campuses. God, you want to send us to the places where we hang out and have coffee at the coffee shop, God, or at the CrossFit gym, Father, that you want to send us in our everyday context to be bringers of your good news. But God, because of the power of your Holy Spirit, we will never be alone. So help us to be open to spending time in prayer and fasting to hear your Holy Spirit speak to us, to call us out, to send us. God, help us to have the obedience, the long obedience in the same direction and the understanding that suffering is not always a redirection, it is a refinement of who we are. And God, help us to understand that multiplying and sending sometimes is really hard, but it is absolutely part of your redemptive plan. And Father, we trust you in the work that you're doing in us as you do it through us and all around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.